Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 20. Glad you could join us. In today's episode, Hope and Bonnie delve deeply into the world of fine arts with Colby alumna Rebecca Devendra. While teaching art at Colby, Rebecca is also known for her classical language skills and the ability to teach those languages to sometimes reluctant high schoolers. Her students may be surprised to learn that as a teenager, Mrs. Devendra actually wrote I Hate Latin in her textbook. Listen to the episode to hear her story about being mastered by the masters. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, Colby homeschooling mom, liturgical musician, podcast fanatic, heavy library user, and Colby parent ambassador. I have two lads and two lasses. The youngest is in fifth grade, the eldest is in 10th, and this is our fourth year homeschooling with Colby. And I'm Hope, Bonnie's younger sister and a Colby alumna in a phase of life after being a student, but before becoming a parent. I studied communication theory and philosophy in college, then I went to law school. Now I'm an attorney, an avid home cook, and the fun aunt to Bonnie's kids. Today we're speaking with Mrs. Rebecca Devendra, the fine arts and one of the Latin instructors here at Colby. Welcome to the Colby cast, Mrs. Devendra. Thanks so much for coming to visit with us. I'm pleased to be here. Thank you for having me. We have been looking forward to visiting with you today and hearing about the fine arts courses you're offering in the online academy this year. They're new, so I'm looking forward to hearing about them. Before we get going, would you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm actually a, a Colby graduate myself. I grew up in Steubenville, Ohio, which is where Franciscan University is. And uh, my dad was a janitor at the college uh, for most of my life. Um, and because of that, we just had a big community of like homeschool families, uh, Catholic families, uh, and just really like, I, I guess I would say like esoteric sort of people. So, it, you know, because of that, it kind of affected me. And um, my mom ended up deciding to homeschool me for various reasons in high school. Um, and pulled me out of like the, the local parochial school because I was having like a lot of trouble in some subjects, but like, excelling in others. So I didn't quite fit, you know, into into like a school's mold and they didn't want that to hurt me. Um, I was also very creative, very artistic. Um, and so I did drawing like with my dad for the most part, that's all I could do. Um, but being in Colby and being in like their, um, I was in like their honors program uh, at home, and this was before the online academy, which is really cool. Like these kids are so lucky <laughs> to have access to courses online. Uh, we had to kind of workshop it, right? It's like being in college, being homeschooled in high school. Uh, so you have days where you're like, I'm going to go up to the local community college and do this math course, and then I would go to like the local high school to do anatomy class, and then I would come home, and that was when I would do like the really rigorous reading because uh, my mom knew I was good at reading and that I needed to be kind of um, uh, challenged a bit. So the Colby curriculum was good. For that. So, you know, St. Augustine reading all of that or, you know, Don Quixote, which was like above my level, but the exposure was really good for college. That was that was my high school education. And I was always, I guess, sort of frustrated that I couldn't find like a good drawing or painting class. Like I always tried, you know, but um, the resources aren't quite there sometimes. Like you go to art schools and this happened to me in college. I went to Franciscan. Uh, to study classics and I wanted to pursue my art like I didn't want to like just leave it around because it's obviously something I uh, had an affinity for uh, but it was like a graphic design class and I didn't want to do that you know I don't want to make ads for coca-cola or like dvd menus you know so I said how do I paint like you know like Raphael like where's the where are those classes uh, and I didn't find those classes until graduating college um, got my classics degree and was doing a lot of uh, work in like a superintendent's office for like classics and Latin. And that was all very nice. 
Uh, and then uh, they handed me art history. Uh, and I said, oh, well, that's great. But, you know, it seems like all art classes are about the academic side of history and like writing about stuff, but it's never about the craft. Um, and we moved to Boston after I got married and I found an atelier, which is a, a French studio that's like set up in the tradition of like the Renaissance. So I just stumbled into this and I saw what the student work was producing. I met people that did artwork for churches uh, and people just doing like stuff for um, murals uh, in Boston, for instance, we're known for Sargent here. So he has like murals he painted in their library. Uh, and so he went to schools like this. And I thought, well, this is like so fortunate. This is always what I wanted. And so I just spent years there uh, just taking in everything I could and, and doing it from the ground up. And I remember thinking, you know, Colby Academy would, would have been like, that's the, exactly what I wanted. And it seems exactly what the students are primed for. Right. Because everybody appreciates tradition, first off, like uh, a lot of these methods require a lot of discipline um, and they require like a sort of sense of mission. Right. Like this is what I want to do and what I want to do it for. And I have like a, a drive to do this. I've seen a lot of people that come expecting to be really good uh, and then they're told that they don't know how to measure and that can be really hard. Right. So so I think that, you know, what I've been able to bring to the fine arts classes at Colby is this sense of like, look, I'm going to be preaching to the choir when I tell you that like crafts, craft is about excellence and it's about discipline and it's about a lot of study and putting the work in um, and then taking that craft and not just being, you know, useless with it. Like don't elevate dumb things, go and go and elevate something that's you think is worth pointing out. Right. And I think they can bring that tradition uh, to it and their background to it because you have all of this knowledge uh, that, you know, your heart's being formed by like a curriculum that Colby offers. And now your hands uh, can be like motivated by your heart. Right. So I think that Catholic artists have that going for them. And so it's really been rewarding for me to try to pass that torch to our students. So that's a long answer, I guess, but I tried to give you the cliff notes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, how you discuss the head, the heart, and the hands. Like the, yeah. the, the head is the academic side, the heart is the formation of the whole person, but, but then it flowing into the hands, into artistry and craft and everything. That's, yes. that's beautiful. I, uh, I do meet a lot of artists that get through this training um, and they'll sometimes say, like, I don't really know what to do. And I'll, I always get really surprised by that because they can paint like these brilliant portraits, breathing and moving, um, you know. But, but when you talk to like one of the Catholic artists that gets out of it, they're like, all right, I'm going to go back home to like the Midwest and I'm going to like paint this mural of Christ the King up here. And I'm just like, oh, yes, like we just know exactly what we want to do, I guess, you know. Uh, when we get out, whereas other people kind of think, oh, I don't know, I'll just kind of see where I land. And then they end up, funnily enough, sometimes working in churches because people say, hey, you're really talented. Can you help us, uh, you know, paint this triptych, which they'll will absolutely do, you know. Um, but it's funny, they kind of get like they get pulled into a lot of people that appreciate that art and they tend to be religious people, it turns out. I think this is so neat how you are using your Colby education and how you're bringing the education you went on to receive and the vocation that you have discerned with your artistic skills, the gifts you were given in that way to offer them back to the Colby students. I think that is really, really neat. We had the privilege of speaking with another Colby alum who's offering a new online course this year, Dolores Mahalik, earlier in the season. Same thing. I just, it really speaks volumes. In, I love in addition to, yeah, She's um, great. Oh, I've met her. She's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, we had a lot to talk about. <laughs> I think that is so neat yeah. how you're able to come back and do that. In addition to really offering back, you bring your cultivation of your artistic skills, this idea that they're given to you for a purpose to serve some greater good rather than 
yourself like, oh, let me see where this takes me. And what do I want to do next? It's not really that, is it? It's more, what are these meant for? How can I use these in service? You were speaking about how as a homeschooled high school student, it was like you were already in college. When you did enter college, did you find that to be a smooth transition? How did that go? Very smooth. Um, you know, I'll say this, like I, when you go, I went to Franciscan University because like I said, my dad worked there and one of the perks was free tuition. So it's hard to say no to something like that. Right. Um, and I was kind of like bummed at first because uh, going to a school where your dad works and where you've grown up around just seems kind of lame to a high school student, I guess. Uh, but it ended up being really good because I said, well, okay, Uh, If I'm going to have to go to school here and I'm going to pick a track, I'm not going to just stick with graphic design. I want to actually, you know, I I was very idealistic. I read Plato's Republic and about education because of Colby. And so I had this like idea that like, okay, I've got to actually try to do something really difficult and see what my limits are, uh, because then that will at least inform like my soul and who I am. And that's what I can get from this school. And I was uh, I was actually I think I was right about that because I went to the classics department because I said this looks kind of difficult. Right. And it looks like it's worth doing <laughs> because of that. And that sounds ridiculous, but that's an 18 year old for you. Um, and I but it worked like it really clicked like Latin and Greek and like reading the Iliad and the Odyssey. Um, just were the the exact challenges that I needed. And I found that like, while that work was difficult, the scheduling, the self-discipline, everything, I was in the honors program at Franciscan, like everything that they read their freshman year, I'd read already at Colby. So I had exposure to it. And so when people were being exposed to it for the first time, you know, I was just kind of comfortable with it. I said, oh, I've read this before. And now I can actually focus on trying to understand it at a deeper level. Uh, So I think my papers were a little more, advanced, um, you know, for like a freshman paper. And I remember having a college professor sit me down who taught the honors and he's like, okay, he's like, where did you go to school? Like, you seem to know all of this already. And so I said, oh, I I did a homeschool program and I told him what it was. And I found out later that he signed his kids up for Colby after that, (laughs) which was hilarious. Um, But apparently I sold it really well. I didn't realize I was pitching, you know, in his office, but he was just like, oh, you've read The Republic, you've read Quixote, you've read a lot of like this first semester's worth of stuff. So uh, yeah, it was, I mean, that's a smooth transition, right? There are people that I knew um, that weren't as voracious of readers as I was, and they had some trouble with the Colby curriculum, but they ended up like being okay and like went on uh, maybe to do more STEM stuff, but they had like a pretty good um, solid background and learning how to think. Uh, you know, I think um, people kind of poo-poo philosophy, you know, in like modern education systems, but like if you can like identify a normative claim, like what is somebody actually arguing from and why, then like you're going to get a lot further and people are going to think you're a lot smart when really you, you can just identify what's going on in the conversation, right? And I think that that gets you really far in like freshman and sophomore classes where there's a discussion going and I already knew how to do that, you know? Uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it's, it really worked well for me. At least I was challenged in the right ways in high school and even the stuff that I thought was kind of annoying and I wasn't going to think about, suddenly I'm in a classroom where I could actually offer something, uh, you know, to, to the group. And that was really nice. Uh, so it, it really, very smooth transition, definitely, I would say. That's a theme that we've seen with some of the alumni that we've talked to. And I experienced it myself of going to college and thinking, what will challenge and develop me the most? Because I think there's this idea of like, oh, college is freedom and I get to do my own thing. And and people kind of spin out a little bit. There's this misconception sometimes of like homeschoolers are are so serious and missing out on 
events or things like that. And <laughs> no, like we prioritize our time. We we talked to Doris's brother, Charlie, a couple weeks ago, and he said, you know, work hard, play hard. Yeah, no, I think that's true. I definitely think that's true. I suppose, I don't know if, if Colby students are idealistic, but I think that when you graduate from Colby, suddenly you're not afraid of like reading a primary source, right? Like you want the undiluted stuff, even if you don't get it at first, what you realize in college is like, oh, well, nobody actually gets all of this, right? Of like this giant tome I'm reading. Uh, you know, like somebody handed Herodotus to me in high school and I was like, forget this. Like, this is huge, you know, uh, but I still <laughs> learn things from Herodotus. I still do. Like I still pick it up and I think like, oh, that's a really interesting analysis of like this culture here. And like, I really like him now. Whereas in co- uh, like in high school, I was like, this guy's nuts, you know? So it's, uh, <laughs> yes. it really is uh, something that I think makes you realize that I deserve the best kind of education. And if I'm not being respected by like my peers or my professor in some class that's obviously there just to like punch a time card. If you're a Colby student, I don't think you're satisfied with that, right? You want something else. Yeah, I would definitely agree that we're all a very interesting bunch in that way. And you seem to have this sense of, I have something to contribute here and I, and I ought to do that and I will. That goes right along with it rather than a passivity, like, what do you got for me? Something like that. Yeah. Could you tell us more about your time at the atelier visual arts are a skill set very far from me and so I look at beautiful paintings or things like that and I just wonder what all goes into it so I'd love to hear more about the process and your experience and your training yeah the craft itself the process is a lot of hard work um I remember when I started it's always really I think hard for someone who's accepted to a studio style atelier um, to realize like, oh, I've been the best artist in the room for my, my whole life. And now I'm in a room with people that have studied in like Florence and Spain and they're and it's so intimidating to be like the a starting student there um, because I didn't even know like how to set up a board. I didn't know how to like look at a figure and I didn't know about different kinds of measurements. So they had to sit, they have to sit there and just basically throw you like into the grinder <laughs> from like right off. So there are times when it's like it's emotional because uh, you're used to drawing really well and then you realize, oh, I don't see that correctly, you know, because uh, the artist reveals what nature hides and that's actually very difficult to break down. You have to think very abstractly to get a human being that you're looking at right on the page exactly because if you get it wrong, even people who aren't artists will know that it's wrong because you look at people all day. Your brain knows what people look like or what they should look like. Uh, And so you, as the artist, have to figure out – not even not just the anatomy, but how to place something on a page so that someone will look at it a certain way or say, oh, I know this person. Right. Uh, or even just looking at something uh, what we would say is kind of mundane, like painting a saucer or a cup. It's very hard to do. Uh, so what they do at the atelier is they start with a really strict process. Um, and so I should distinguish myself here. I went to an atelier that's in the French tradition. So 19th century French artists, we're talking like Sargent, who was part of the Boston School here. Um, You probably know Bouguereau um, because he paints a lot of, he painted a lot of wonderful images of um, Christ and the Madonna. And they're just these gorgeous, like realist paintings with like angels around, you know, the mother. So I guarantee you, you've had a Catholic calendar that's had his work in it, something like that. Um, And that's how I wanted to learn how to paint. And this is the kind of school that he set up and taught in. Uh, so that's pretty intimidating, honestly, when you don't know how to like draw a line right, it turns out. So the, the process is that what they do is they tell you to do copies of Charles Barg. 
So Charles Barg was a French artist who would sit down in front of like master copy paintings or sculptures, and he would detail um, these pencil drawings like in graphite that make it look like real marble on the page. And you have to sit there and do that uh, with your little pencil. And so they tell you how to sharpen it. They make it, um, you have to make it like uh, dental instrument sharp. It's one of the first things I make our drawing students do is I say, take out your pencils. They are not sharp enough. You're gonna take a knife and you're gonna whittle it down and expose the lead. And then you take sandpaper and you sharpen it to like knife point basically, because then it forces you to use your pencil like a brush. Uh, it makes you light so that you're not putting hard strokes on your paper. And then if you try to erase it, like there's this indentation or like this image of what was there before. Uh, and so you stay really abstract at first. You build the scaffolding of the image um, by learning to measure like one to one. OK, on your artboard. Uh, and so it, I did that. And the first bar I ever started, I had to start over four times. So that was tough. Uh, but once I learned all of those very hard lessons, I moved on to do four of them. Uh, and then you graduate to doing what's called cast drawing, uh, which is not copying a master copy. You go and you look at like a marble cast in front of you and you have to render it in charcoal. Uh, and so the teachers always help you with that because you have to learn how to see light properly. And that's really tough. Um, so I, you know, I would spend weeks and weeks and weeks on, on one drawing. Uh, and I would make it a little more difficult on myself, I suppose, schedule wise, uh, because I kept I was married and I kept having babies <laughs> in the middle of my uh, studies, which like it was an adult class. So they, you know, nobody, everyone was fine with it. They said, OK, just come back like after your next baby and we'll start you on this or finish this one up. So I had some uh, I had some nice help there. Uh, but finally, you know, the idea is that once you do cast drawing and after you do bar drawing, you can then move to looking at an object and you're not baffled by what you're seeing. You, you know how to lay it out, you know how the light works, you know how to make a value scale. Um, you can draw it flat first and then transfer it over to a canvas and you, you know how to manipulate the paint in a way that makes it look like a 2D object so that when people walk by it, they'll be like, whoa, that, that looks like I'm looking at a saucer right there. So the, the still life was, was, I thought it would be the most challenging thing but it turned out that I didn't know what I what I had like learned, what I had trained my brain to do. So the, the still life was actually almost a little easy. And I got to focus on color and trying to make that um, unique to me because they said, look, color is is pretty unique to like how people see it. So if you get the light right, the color is what you've decided to emphasize as the artist. That's where your creativity comes in. So that was cool like to to be able to to realize, you know, where my personality could come through in the work. And it's what you appreciate when you know all this now, when you, I go to like a gallery and I'll look at like, I don't know, something by Titian or even like the Baroque artists and I'll say, oh man, yeah, a lot of personality in the way they do their faces, even though we all have the same like foundations, you know, the same training and structure. So this was, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard. It's trial by fire. Um, it's very daunting to do people from life. Uh, when they're sitting in front of you and you have to get a really dedicated person that's willing to just put up with you staring at them for like two weeks as you paint them. But the results are always, I think, uh, like everybody's amazed that you can do it. It makes me feel like kind of a, magi a magician. And it just seems just so obvious that I couldn't have done it without someone just saying there are objective rules that you need to learn to do this, right? It's not something that I could have just done on my own because I tried on my own for just my whole life, you know? And if you don't have somebody come and say, look, quit trying to reinvent the wheel. Here are the basics of light structure and form. And here's, you have to learn these before you move on. 
because in the end of the day, like this is what tradition does, right? Traditions become traditions because they work, uh, you know, and when you try to like just skip over them, uh, what ends up happening is that you end up making a lot of mistakes that are not deliberate and then reacting to those mistakes, which can make something that you didn't intend to make in the first place. And I like to be a very deliberate person uh, and, and compose exactly what I want you to see on this canvas and get get across hopefully the message that I'm trying to get across. Um, and I and I can do that now. And so in the way, like the tradition is just so freeing in that way, because like so many art classes were so frustrating before this um, in different ways. Right. I just told you that I had to restart things like three or four times, but there was a goal there, you know, uh, and the frustrating part of being in art classes before then is that I was told to do what I felt. I said, well, it doesn't matter what I feel if I can't get it right or the way I want it. Um, and they couldn't tell me how to do that. Right. So it, that was always I, I think this is the essential attitude for atelier style um, methods. You, you need to have that discipline and that vision and to want to be like standing on the shoulders of people before you that figured all this out already. Right. Like the Da Vinci rule for canvases. We, everybody still uses that. They're like, OK, step back as far as he tells you and then you will be fine. You won't distort your image. And like knowing that is just saves you so much grief. You know, do it. Just do it. So. It's practical and it's wonderful. Like I love getting my hands dirty. I like being able to you know, carve my pencils and make my own paint and just stretch the canvas and, and do everything from scratch. And I've just like it's like I've been given this wonderful gift and it's it's been a wonderful experience. It sounds like demystifying. It really made it very much accessible. Yeah, it's liberating. It was really like a big breath of fresh air, you know, because it, it's still hard work. Uh, every painting. And everything that I try uh, to draw, even if it's just a master copy, it always comes with the same kinds of difficulties, right? And there's still times where I start over, uh, but you get to know yourself through this process too. You'll say, oh, I know exactly where I've messed up here. And then you can just like save yourself the grief and start over and it goes faster every time uh, because you know what you're doing. Uh, and that's just, that's such a huge gift. It's like a, it's like your brain just lights up in all the right places when you have uh, this key to unlock all the all the things that were in the way that were just uh, kind of these stumbling blocks, you know, uh, and it's just uh, very freeing, very liberating. And it's it's great. Obviously, obviously, I'm a big fan. But. I was intrigued by your remark about when you're kind of guessing at what you're doing, you make mistakes and then you react to your own mistakes and it forms a vicious cycle I, that was very relatable well really everything that you're saying but especially that remark and then when you talked about um, how to see light properly which is an idea that I had never heard before those sound like very tactile applied things to to your craft but then also big philosophical ideas of if we think of light versus dark grace versus the darkness of sin and things like that and how it's all around us and so to try to see it properly yeah, like, I, yeah. I like finding things that are like both very specific and also very general or universal and so those those stuck out to me in what you were describing and I thought it was really really You'd cool like Maggio a lot I think he um that description you gave of like um yeah light and darkness and sin and grace and that's the whole point of all of his compositions uh, he calls it charoscuro right but if you've ever seen a Caravaggio painting it you're always struck by like uh, the figure coming out of the darkness the way that they are in a way that's almost creepy and startling at first. But then as you look at it more, you, you like focusing on the light that's around the person, which is what he wants you to see. It's, it's gorgeous. And like, it's a whole method that you actually have to learn because he was so 
specific in how he did that. Um, and I'm trying to get there. I'm still trying to get there because I never really like when I want to do a portrait, I'm like the lights right on your face so that I can see everything, uh, you know, but like painting darkness in an effective way uh, is a huge skill. Um, I always tell my students that if the shadows are right, then the drawing is going to be right. And everybody that looks at it is going to see the person that you see. So this is a this is a big um you know, learning curve. Like once you get there and you can draw the shadows, which is what you're doing with those basic bar drawings, is you're just learning how to draw a shadow, roll blocky, you know, find the shapes, put it in there, do it over and over again until it's right. And then suddenly you're like, wow, whoa, this, this, this thing just appeared here, you know? Uh, so it's, yeah, it's great. We see good work coming from your class. How's it been going since the start of the year? You know, really good. Yeah, you know, I think Colby students are ready for a challenge, so that helps. I don't have a classroom of people thinking, wait a second, this isn't like an art class I'm used to, right? You can be wrong here, actually. <laughs> um, but So I can, you know, set it up right. So a lot of the time, um, the corrections I give the students are about, uh, you know, setting things up right the first time. So that's like the first couple of weeks, you know, and that's all like, that's all part of the process, even though you're not getting anything done on a page. So I think for the students, that's the hardest part is getting everything exactly right because I'm trying to set them up for success to make those drawings. Um, and then it becomes like a class exercise in critiques. So the way atelier style um, studios are run is I, I tried to make, our classroom as, as like it as possible. So I split the groups of students up into like houses and I would say, okay, this house gets first dibs on a critique. I'm gonna look at your drawing, upload it for me. And I'm gonna tell you what's wrong with it, if anything. So if you have the picture taken the right way, I'm gonna basically take my needle, which is how I measure objects. And I just go right in front of their drawing. I say, okay, your width is off up here. Or like, I'm just gonna circle this part here. You've got the shape of the head wrong. Do you see that? And we'll be like, yes, I do, thank you. Um, they're all very gracious and polite, these students. So <laughs> if they're frustrated and unhappy, they haven't said anything, but I think they're, they're really willing to like see the problems and there's great light bulb moments there. Um, you know, I've had students that did things too fast and I said, okay, well, we're at the point of no return now because you skipped some steps. So you have to do it. Um, and now these students, they come back, we're near the end of our semester, you know, uh, and they have these beautiful drawings and I'll say oh my gosh I'm so glad I bullied you at first <laughs> you know and they'll say yeah you know you have to be starting over I was like I'm so bad at this and I said no no like that's the point like you have to really figure out what your own pitfalls are and like I'm here to get rid of those which can be look at the fruits you know so I think I I hope um you know my students have like become really critical um they've developed a good eye so far I did an exercise before Thanksgiving where I showed them a master copy I was doing and I knew things were wrong with it. And I said, I want somebody to tell me what you think is wrong with this master copy. And most of them were absolutely right. Like they, they grabbed things that were obviously wrong. And I said, oh, that's really good. Like, so if something has happened to your brains that you can do this now, right? Um, it's gonna ruin a lot of art for you. You're gonna go into like <laughs> certain shows and say, oh, <laughs> no bad form, you know, but hey, that's yeah, like, that's what we're doing here. So uh, I think it's been, really successful in that way. I've really seen them grow. Um, and that's been a lot more rewarding for me to see uh, than I thought, because being an artist is kind of lonely. Uh, you have your studio, you have your projects. And then like when you show off the end product, usually you get praise at that point. Um, but sharing the process with students and helping them do it themselves has been really good, I think, for my soul. 
it's just been wonderful <laughs> to see them ask questions and struggle with the same things I did. And, and for me to just say like, okay, I'm like, I'm actually passing something on that's pretty big to you. And they're gonna be so much further ahead than I was at that age. Like they're all like, you know, 17, 18 year olds, even younger sometimes. And you can't get this, you know, uh, unless you go to like a coastal sort of city to an atelier or you have to go out of country. You have to go to Canada or like Florence to get this. And they've got it, you know, and I, and I think about that and I'm like, it's just gonna be so different for them. They're gonna have so much, be so much further ahead uh, than I was. They won't have to like go to a, an art program and wonder if it's good. They'll just know <laughs> if it is or not, which is huge, you know, that's huge. So I'm really proud of them. And I'm really hoping that they go on. Like that would just be the, the ultimate reward. I think we'll have a lot in painting. All the kids in drawing haven't been scared away. So they, they seem to be excited to go to a new medium and to try again. And we're gonna paint a sphere, you know, our first time out. And I think we'll like that and they'll know what to do. So uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just looking forward to sort of escorting them further through the tradition. Uh, and even if we don't add more art classes, they'll have enough, I think, from this year. Um, so much more than they probably would have got you know, at a college level, like art history class that they can do what they want, I think. That's ultimately like the freedom aspect I was talking about. They're gonna have a lot of options. This sounds like an amazing opportunity for the high schoolers. And then when they have, if they have younger siblings or if there are listeners who have younger children, what are, what are some ways to like build this art appreciation and just interest and I to have kids in a, great place to then hopefully enroll in future semesters of your class. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so making an art culture at home, it's easier said than done, I guess, if, uh, because I've run into people where I'll, they'll ask me this and I'll say, well, hang beautiful art around your home. Like just get like prints of things that inspire you that you think are beautiful. And I'll give them like a list of artists. So I'll say, uh, do, do Bouguereau, do Sargent. Or if you want a modern artist that um, is in this tradition, I always recommend that people look up, um, this woman is named KDG Whipple. She just does paintings of flowers and you don't think like, oh, flowers, what, you know, but they're breathtaking. And she's been doing this forever. So when you, when you just look out for beauty in your life, I think that that's going to create at least an appreciation or a curiosity at first. Um, and then as far as like practical application goes, you know, um, I think it was Leonardo came up with basically our version of like paint by numbers uh, to help his students. So we always think of this as like this childish thing. And it's like, well, no, that's about color matching. And color matching is so important for realist artists because a lot of very good artists that have a lot of training can't see color very well. It's a skill. So when you are forced to isolate, like what is the exact color of this shadow, like on this teacup, you can actually get a child to do that where you can say, do you see orange in the shadow or blue in the shadow? And what would you pick here to match this, this color, right? Uh, that's a huge deal. So learning how to think abstractly is always good. Um, and even just, uh, you know, we always try to get like art history. I think uh, a lot of the time with younger students were tempted to say like, well, you should attempt projects um, that like take after Picasso or, you know, maybe Van Gogh, because we tend to think of it as like easy or approachable. Um, and, and I think that that's because we've like infantilized some of like the very first modern artists, because what happened after those periods where people thought that it was easily approachable and that they didn't have to do anything um, like traditional or anything like real that was really discipline heavy and had hard work. So they said, well, I'm just going to paint like Picasso. What's happening um, is that they don't quite ever achieve what Picasso did 
at all uh, because he did all of this training too. And, you know, and people don't realize that, like they look at some of his early works and you're like, oh, wow, OK, I didn't I didn't know that he had this classical training. And then it becomes an interesting um, like change of philosophy for him when he breaks the rules. Uh, but you can't break the rules unless you know them first. So in the end of the day, it's like you said, you have people kind of like fumbling over themselves. And then what happens is that with children we will say like, oh, well, here, do like Picasso's flower drawing without really explaining how he got there or why. And so it just looks like a kid's drawing and then a kid can imitate that. Sure, you know, to it, but it's because again, we don't seem to think that kids can do, um, have access to like the raw deal, right? Those primary sources. So having like a, um, a picture of Da Vinci's Last Supper up and then telling your kid to draw it is actually a good idea. Just expect them to try their best at it. And then you can say, oh, okay, I see some differences in this and yours, but yours is very, very nice, right? And like get them to critically look at their drawing um, and compare it. Um, I think for older students, like if people are just trying to get an idea of what this method is like at home, uh, one of the best books that you could um, that you could buy or look into is a, a book by a Darren Roussar. His name is spelled R-O-U-S-A-R. He claims that a seven-year-old can do a cast drawing. And I think he's probably right. You could probably set it up, but he gives you diagrams in the book of how to do it. Um, and it's called cast drawing using the site size approach. So every atelier um, is going to do site size. Um, but one of the things about Darren that I appreciate is that he's like, just throw kids into this. Like if they're seven years old, they're reasonable people at that point. They can stand still, uh, take, put like a piece of tape on the ground and say, stand here and show them basic measuring and like give them like a block to draw. You know, and then they can have a setup and they can just go through the week and stand there and be like, I'm going to draw my block and then go back and forth. So <laughs> I have I, I, I have four kids. I have never tried this, but <laughs> my kids are, I think um, they're absorbing something from me uh, because my son is eight years old and he did a still life and like oil pastels at like a, a school project he did. And he came in and he came in and he said, here's everything that I did wrong with it. And he, he was right about what was wrong and I haven't like formally sat him down, right? So kids pick it up. They, they pick up what you're what you're putting in front of them. And so that's why you should never uh, sell them short, right? Give them the give them the stuff you want them to be influenced by. These are all such accessible ideas that you're offering, especially to someone like me who's like, I have no idea how to approach this and it's quite intimidating to me. So I might just kind of um, set it to the side for now, but you make it very accessible and concrete similar to what you were saying about the feedback you give your students, the ideas you're offering with this approaching art and to bringing children into the, getting them thinking about it, it's that, that idea of strewing that I see sometimes mentioned with regard to book, have a lot of good books around and strew them to be picked up. It seems to be a bit of a parallel with the art, like hang the beautiful art where they can see it and it's just in their visual landscape that it they kind of soak it in and just, and it goes from there. That really brings it to a much more approachable level and seems much more practical. More oh, fast. absolutely. Yeah. I wanted to ask you also about Art Club. You mentioned recently a, a talk you gave to the Colby Art Club. Can you tell us more about that? I think these clubs that Colby offers, they are, there's, so many, there's so much goodness happening there that it would be really interesting to hear more about the Art Club in particular. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I accidentally took over art club, I think is what happened there. <laughs> uh, another teacher started it because she said, oh, Chloe doesn't have an art club and we should just do that. You know? Uh, so I said, oh, I'd love to be added. And this is, I was just teaching Latin, you know, I hadn't done any of that. And that was where I started like really talking to students 
Um, and I would say like, oh, what do you think of this piece here? Or I would show them a painting I was working on. And I think that's that's like basically how I got discovered uh, by like Megan. She says, wait a sec, you know, what are you doing in here? Um, and so they, they just kind of handed it over to me. And I thought, oh, gosh, OK, sure. Um, and then I thought, well, I should give a lecture then. I should just I do and see if they appreciate it. I'm sure they would. And I was sort of like taken aback um, by how many people came to my first lecture in art club, just giving like a broad um, bullet point uh, introduction to like the atelier method and like what kind of schools to go to to do what I was doing. And I had to like cut the meeting short because it was just going too long. But like I, I ended up trying to like paint an apple in front of them and kind of show them stuff. And they were like, what? This is amazing. So it was really interesting. And I said, you know, and so Megan and I started talking and I said, I think there's interest. You know, I think people would really like this. And then they, they turned it over to me. And so what we do in our club now is I make like um, it's a pretty, very open space. It's a lot of grade levels. And I try to start discussions. I'll put like a painting in there where I'll point out like, hey, this is an artist that's considered good for his use of white or his use of blue against red. You know, and what do you think of this? And they start talking about it or we do just real practical projects. So I'll say like, OK, the theme for like this month uh, is we want you to draw a portrait of St. Colby. So uh, do your best. Here are some reference photos and I'll help you if you want it. But um, I want you to just upload your work and we can all talk about it. Uh, and I don't give critiques or anything. I tell them, like, I, I usually save that for, for classes because I would just get overwhelmed otherwise. But, you know, I try to teach them lessons every once in a while. I try to hold like a lecture about a theme. I've been working on portraits for a long time, so I just threw it up there. Like, I've been doing this a while. Do you guys want a lecture on portraits? Do you want to know what that's about and have some resources for it? The, the big I tell you what, if you, if you have anyone interested in portrait, uh, you should get it's free. You can just get it now. Um, it's an artist in the 50s called Andrew Loomis, L-O-O-M-I-S, and he says how to draw the head and hands. And he just breaks it down from like infancy to old person, how to draw like the head of any person you're looking at uh, and what the proportions are and what to look for and how to study that. Uh, and then he goes into like the anatomy of a hand really like in depth. And I always share a lot of his drawings and slides because they're just so easily broken down, you know. Um, and so this is what our club has become is just me sharing a resource here or there and then kind of ginning up some interest and like trying to get people to like push them to do things. So uh, we had a theme where we had an album up that said, draw a portrait, put it in here. Let's see what it looks like. Or, you know, uh, I think next um, in the next couple of weeks, I'll do the same with like a landscape. I'll be like, look out your window and draw what you see. Like, what do you uh, how do you think that works? And I might actually give them some sort of like lecture on, you know, French uh, plain air methods because they really figured out how to paint like a horizon line really well. And that's really key in painting something outside, you know, planning it doesn't rain on you, but that's part of the, uh, <laughs> that's part of the fun. So um, yeah, gosh, there's just so many ways it could go, but I, I try to expose them to different ideas and to like a, a real sense of, of what like a disciplined artist looks like and, and does every day. And so that's what I've tried to bring to it. If listeners are interested in how their Colby students can participate, the clubs are offered for students taking at least one online course in grades 6 through 12. And parents sign them up for these clubs through uh, links that are sent out by email or by contacting Colby for them. So are they sort of ongoing enrollment, the clubs, or do, is there a cutoff point at this point in the year or can students still join the clubs at this point? Yeah, I, I still let them in. Um, it's fine by me because there's no deadlines, really. And if anybody wants it on the fun, it just seems like, sure, just at any time, come on in. Because, I mean, that's how the studio works anyway, is there's always so many different kinds of levels of people in the same room. 
And the older, more experienced students always end up helping out the younger ones that have just come in. So I like that environment. So for my own club, I will say, yes, I do let. It's a rotating door. <laughs> okay, next year when our Catholic calendars come out from our parishes, we're going to look at them with fresh eyes, right? <laughs> <laughs> and current artists, because I know, as you mentioned earlier, that the traditions become traditions because they work. And so sometimes it's hard to figure out, oh, this is somebody current to follow on Instagram or or whatever. But it sounds like there are people out there who are building on these primary sources. And I kept waiting for Bonnie to bring up the idea of learning your scales when playing piano and the freedom that learning your scales has. As you've been describing your experience, I have been thinking about my own experience as a piano major. There are so many similarities between oh, like, exactly. here's basic. Here's how to do it. <laughs> yeah. A lot oh, of it. And the idea of the masterclass. Yeah. yeah. We expect more of students of music than we do of art currently. And it's the same amount of discipline for the most part. Right. Yeah. I usually give that speech to a student or I've heard it given to students that were having trouble and didn't know what the point of, you know, all of the, the like rigorous discipline over like a value scale, which is just like light to dark. You have to make little squares and you have to to make the pencil strokes so tight that you can't see the paper through it. And that gets harder and harder as you get lighter. And so a lot of students get very frustrated at this stage because it doesn't feel like a drawing, right? You apply it later. Um, and you always get the speech from like the, you know, the atelier master coming in and being like, well, have you ever taken piano? Did you expect to just play Mozart? No, no, no. Like it's not gonna work for you if you do not do the work, right? Uh, and so this was always a speech given and we were always very frustrated, at least in the atelier, um, that music classes, for some reason, are more, it, it's expected to be able to slog through years of work before coming to a final product, whereas in art, we want instant gratification. You know, like we, we feel like we were owed praise in whatever we attempt, even if it's really bad. So, uh, you know, being at a school where that was not the case uh, was a little, it was kind of like having some whiplash at first, but I was like, oh, this is good, actually. I need to have like my butt kicked a little. So this is really good for me, but it's really just, Nobody wants that, you know, nobody wants that. But, you know, if you stick with it, that's the reward, the beautiful work at the end. I can see how the Colby background that you had might have helped make that a little bit more palatable. Yeah. No, people think it's crazy when you say something like, well, any, I would say things like, I think it's worth doing if it's really difficult to do, because then it means like there's something to be achieved here. Um, and that's not an attitude a lot of people have unless they have like a certain uh, level of experiences that make them see that. Uh, and I had that from a pretty young age because of Colby. So, yeah, I would definitely say that's true. <laughs> we are getting close to the time we asked of you for today. This happens every time. We we find you all so fun to talk to. And are there things that we have not yet covered that you would like to? I do think I want to leave people listening to this. Um, if you're interested in knowing what kind of schools are out there that are like uh, atelier approved, like art schools worth going to, there's a website called the Art Renewal Center. And if you go to that website, what you'll find is just beautiful figure art and modern artists doing this tradition. And they have what they call, um, it's ARC, Art Renewal Center, of course, abbreviated, certified schools. And they will list schools all over the world and in the United States where this method is being actively taught by someone who knows what they're, what they're doing. So if you're seeking it out, um, it's never... Uh, accredited, right? It's not college credit because it's not an art program like that you would get at a bachelor's degree or anything like that. If you want to do this, it's a craft, right? You're basically going to trade school. Um, and that's the schools that do it. 
So a lot of them have um, high tuition and stuff like that, but it ends up being pretty well worth it if that's what you want to do with your life. Like you need to learn the actual skills. So one of our upcoming episodes is with some current Colby 10th graders. And we've been trying to ask the Colby alumni who we've had as guests on their own episodes, kind of what you might say either to yourself in 10th grade as a Colby student or to current 10th graders. So either or both. I would be harder on myself in 10th grade than I would be on other 10th graders. So I will say this to the current 10th graders um, is that I've been where you are. And, uh, you know, homeschooling is different for everyone because uh, each person's home life is a little bit different. But the curriculum that we share um, as people looking uh, at Colby Academy uh, is that you are looking at a school that uh, will not just accept uh, like whatever you can do to get a passing grade. They actually want you uh, to be able to come out of this, um, which may look difficult now, but they want you to be able to come out of this knowing how to really think and how to approach primary sources of things um, and how never to sell yourself short. That if you are challenged by something, that means it's probably worth uh, buckling down and disciplining yourself for. And that sounds like very boring adult advice, I know. Uh, but I can say that um, I once opened up my Latin book uh, that my mother put in front of me at 15, and I was very recalcitrant, and I put I hate Latin in the margins and refused to do my work. And now I have a classics degree, and I teach Latin uh, because I ended up uh, deciding that, oh, there was actually some wisdom in all of this. Uh, and so uh, it defeated me in the end. And I think if you let it defeat you, you're going to come out a fuller, richer, bigger soul person. Um, and that is a good thing. That is a very good thing. And so put in your work. Uh, don't sell yourself short and learn to love what's good. And you're going to have a rich and full adult life. Very well said. It, how you described it reminds me of the Pope Benedict quote about the world offers you comfort, but you are not made for comfort. You were made for greatness. And everything of what you just described is the, the process of developing greatness. It's really nice as an adult to see how much Colby has grown um, because when I was a student, uh, I didn't really know about other students doing all of this. And I remember going to Franciscan and I ran into other Colby alum and we became really good friends. And it was like, oh, well, you were just there the whole time. And now with like the online community and the classes, it's just possible everybody in the same work you're doing. And that's really helpful. It, it builds solidarity. It helps you realize that like, I'm not just alone at home doing all this hard work. I, you know, this dusty Herodotus that's like causing me anxiety. Uh, <laughs> there's other people doing the hard work with me and like everybody who's here to encourage me and even stuff like this podcast you know where, where people are just we're just talking about our experience and it's nice to see the effects it's had um you know and, and that's been really helpful for me uh to see as an adult right it's nice to see support the kids get now yes it's really a privilege to be a part of yeah and it, it's neat to see how it is has grown and continues to grow and serve more people and make such a positive difference well this has been a fascinating and very enjoyable conversation we really appreciate it thank you so much mary our mother pray for us saint maximilian colby pray for us ad maiorem dei gloriam